Welcome back. We are in Revelation chapter 10, verse 2. Let's go. I'll start with verse 1, and then we'll talk about verse 2. Verse 1, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with the cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. So verse 2, he had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. He touched both the sea and the land, indicating that the message was for the whole world, not just for the Gentile, not just for the Jew, not for the just for the believer or unbeliever, but for everybody. And he had this little book in his hand, and we'll talk about this in a minute. Here's another reason why I believe that this is an angel and not Jesus. It's not the fitting time for Jesus to come because we know Jesus comes, his second coming is at the end of the tribulation. And with it saying here, he set his foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Well, Jesus isn't supposed to come yet, not till the end of the uh, tribulation that we'll study. So this doesn't really fit in with that that part of scripture. And remember with the rapture, even though um, we're going through Revelation, so my apologies if I switch from the past tense to the future tense, etc. But remember that we are in the church age still. The church has not been raptured, but after it's raptured, there will be a tribulation for seven years. When that rapture happens, Jesus appears in the clouds and basically calls us up but he doesn't, that is not his second coming. He does not come to the earth, down to the land. He is up in the clouds. And that is not considered his second coming either. And But here, this person actually puts his left and right foot on the, on the land, which again is why, one more reason why I believe that this is an angel and not Jesus, uh, because I don't think it would perfectly fit in with, his, uh, with what we know about Scripture and his second coming, which will be at the end of the tribulation. So... Again, we don't need to be dogmatic on this. There's some wonderful, wonderful commentators who believe, um, and many mentors of mine who believe this is Jesus, and I have many mentors of mine who believe that this was an angel. I'm in the camp that uh, believes that this is an angel. Verse 3, And cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. Remember that Jesus, when he came the first time, we talked about him being a suffering servant. And last night when I was thinking about this, it's interesting and, and makes total sense that the first time he comes as a suffering servant, the second time as a conquering king, which is to come, right? That's at the end of the tribulation. But the first time as a suffering servant, because what does he call us to do? Does he call us to be conquering kings who are admired and worshipped? No, he calls us to be servants, and he knows that we are going to suffer in the name of Christ and will be hated by all men for, our, for his name's sake. We can expect that persecution. So he wanted to show us the example and say, hey, you're going, we, I want you to serve. Because when you serve others, you're going to think of them more highly than yourself. And you're going to esteem yourself not. And by serving others, you're going to lead people to me because you're going to represent me by your actions and your words and, and be the hands and feet of Jesus. So follow my lead. Follow my example and be this suffering servant. Not suffering because you want to suffer, but knowing that if you follow me, the world will turn on you because you have godly thoughts and they have worldly thoughts. You have eternal thoughts 
they have world, uh, worldly thought, uh, temporary thoughts. And so he wanted to give us that example, but he will come back as a conquering king, but we must remember we are never the conquering king. Now, we will be co-heirs with Christ, and we will be kings and priests with Christ on earth during the millennial kingdom, but make no mistake about it, he is the conquering king. He is the overcomer. We only are overcomers because we, over, we, we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, and he overcame. And so it says that when, uh, as when a lion roars. So lions are ferocious, they're powerful, commanding. The next part of the verse is, When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered. And do not write them. I'm not certain what the seven thunders are. Um, so let's just leave it at that. I, I don't know what, uh, what they are. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. So John was about to write something. But then he heard a voice from heaven and said, Seal up the things which they uttered. So the seven thunders said something to John that he was going to write down, much like he's writing down what he's seeing here in this for Revelation, that he's getting revealed by God, through God, through angels, through visions, etc. But just as he has the desire to write this, or maybe even the seven thunders told him to write this, but God says, Seal up the things which they said, which they uttered, is the word he says. But I'm going to use my phraseology. Seal up the things which they told you. And do not write them. Do not write them. You see, there are things that God wants us to know. And there are things that are not for us to know yet. God reveals us things over time in his perfect timing. Just like it used to be a mystery that... Gentiles and Jews would be grafted in together in Jesus. Jewish people used to think they were not only set apart, but that the Jew, uh, Gentiles couldn't be grafted in. That's why they thought of them as uh, you know, unbelievers, as dogs, and as lower than them. But God has always, from the beginning, set people, a people group that started with Israel, to be the salt and light, to go and tell the world about them so that the rest of the world can come to know the Messiah, come to know God. And that's exactly what he has, the believer, if you're a believer listening to this, this is exactly what he has set before you. This is your task, to go and share the gospel, the good news, the truth about Jesus, the truth that he has revealed to us through the Bible. 66 different books, written by 40 different people in three different languages on three different continents. So we're not thinking collusion. It's hard to do that collusion over a period of 1,500 years. Really hard to collude with people that you don't even live with during the same time period, continent, or language. Over 24,000 manuscripts, over 24,000 archaeological finds. Nothing has ever been found that disproves the Bible, yet there's 24,000 findings from archaeologists that support 
facts, figures, people, places, etc. of the Bible. Not a single contradiction. Every contradiction, or every, uh, an unbeliever who says this is a contradiction, we can answer that. We can answer every single objection that they throw away, and there's no objection, or no contradiction. There's one central thing. Now, how is all this possible? It can only be possible if, the, if it's the Word of God. Study this book. It's the Word of God. It's His love letter to you. He wants you to read it. He wants you to study it. He wants you to pray about it. He wants you to talk to people about it. He wants you to learn from people who can teach you about it. He wants you to teach people about it. This is our job, and we should find great joy in doing this because He wrote it for us. And one of the fascinating things about the Bible is some people say, oh, it's hard to understand, or I don't get this, I don't get that. Yeah. If you read it and understood everything, so think of a book. I'm just going to throw out a name, um, Moby Dick or Hamlet or whatever. One of these, uh, um, I can't think of anything else right now. But one of these books, and if you just sat there and read it and read it and read it, and you read it every year, at some point you'd be like, this is boring. I know all this. I'm not learning anything new when I read this. But with the Bible, you can read it year after year after year. And I promise you, you will learn so much every single time, every single year, every single month, and probably every single day. There will be sometimes you come to a verse or something and you're like, oh, I've read that and you don't get anything out of it. But then there'll be times when you go to the same verse that you've read 10 times, 20 times, and bam, God will reveal something about that verse that you didn't know. And it's probably an application in your life. Because as we go through different seasons in our life, we can apply the, bio, the uh, certain verses differently because they mean different things. When I read about suffering and I'm not suffering, it means one thing. When I read about suffering and I'm actually suffering, I have a loss in the family. I have something bad going on in my life or in my career or with a child or something. Oh, it just takes on a whole new life, and you know this. So may we hear what God wants us to hear, and he tells us this in the Bible. But there's also a perfect timing. God reveals things to us at certain times and over time. Think about an iceberg. When you're looking at an iceberg, I've never seen one in person, only in pictures, probably true of most of you, but you only see the ice that's above the surface. And that only represents a fraction of the actual iceberg that lurks beneath the surface. God only reveals to us a portion of what he wants us to know. And he'll reveal the rest, maybe some during our lifetime, some during the tribulation. And then he'll spend eternity just filling us in with amazing truths. And, you know, what I'd say is kind of revealing more about him and his creation and exploring what he's done. And I just can't wait for that. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like. Um, And we will wrap it up there for today. Lord, help us to know that your word is true, that you wrote it for us, that this is your love letter to us. If our girlfriend, wife, or daughter, our mother wrote us a love letter, we would certainly read it. We would treasure it. We wouldn't hide it. We wouldn't be ashamed of it. We would be proud of it. We would be excited about it. We could go back and read it constantly. 
And that's what you want us to do. Help us to learn through this. Help us to know that you haven't revealed everything to us, that you will reveal to us things in time, that you will teach us things about the Bible, that the Bible doesn't get old. It's so fascinating. There's so much to it, so much historicity, so much um, imagery, and so just so much change that you will show us through the Bible that will change our lives, Lord, for the better so we can have more joy, more peace, more perseverance, all in your name. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. Now it's time to go and make disciples, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to show people who Jesus is so that we have the right to tell them who Jesus is. I'd encourage you to share this by social media, text, or email with someone who you think could benefit from learning more about the Word of God. Have a blessed day.